You're listening to a CNA podcast. Greetings, lovely listeners. It's Crispina here back with you on another episode of Work It. And it's me, Adrian. Today, we don't have a trending news point to talk about. We mm-hmm. just have an interesting guest. She's Yo Ying Ying, and she's the general manager at Roach Singapore. The real reason why she's in the hot seat today is also because she is only 40. And one might argue that's quite a feat because to be head of a major global pharmaceutical company at that age is not common, right? Definitely (laughs) is a feat because a study by Happiness Insight in 2020, they actually analysed LinkedIn data and found the average age of GM in Singapore. Take a guess, Crispina. Okay, 50? It's actually 43. Mm. It's much younger, but still, Ying is way ahead of her peers. She's also one of the youngest GMs across the company's global network and was appointed in 2022. So we're going to ask her just how she got there, like what was her journey like, and a bit more broader to do with her work, which is healthcare. Welcome to the podcast, Ying Ying. Thanks, thanks, Crispina, and thanks, Adrian, for having me here. For those of you who cannot see because it's a podcast, Ying Ying does not look anything like her age. She looks like a student. <laughs> right? <laughs> Pretending to be the GM. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that a lot, and I, I don't think, you know, it's every day that you actually get your age broadcast over a podcast. Ooh. My kid's going to be very disappointed ah. because they thought mommy is 28 and mommy always stays 28. Okay, yeah, let's keep that going. She's 28. Okay, we haven't made our guests do this in a while, but because this is more of an interesting profile, maybe you can give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself. How did you get to this? A lot of people would think, wow, make GM at 39. That's quite a feat. So maybe a little bit of introduction of myself. So mm. I am Malaysian Chinese. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Penang, Ooh. in a little town in the heartlands. And I actually started my career in Malaysia. So all the while I studied, grew up in Malaysia, been in the local education system. I even graduated from a local university as well. Okay. And I joined Roch from Malaysia as a sales rep. So the first eight, nine years of my role, I think I did a lot of sales rep, mm. product marketing, group brand management, dabbled a little bit into access, right. or even a little bit into comms and patient partnership kind mm. of work. Mm. And eight, nine years into the role, I think I had the opportunity to start thinking about career outside of Malaysia. Mm. Mm. And that was the first time when I spoke to my line manager who's encouraging me to actually think about, what do you think about working outside of Malaysia? Right. We have a regional role open. Are you interested? And naturally, I am curious, right? Like in my role, I do work with my peers from different countries. And these interactions open up your mind on, oh, yeah, landscape are very different in different places. So I went into a regional role. And then ever since back, I guess there's no turning back. So your regional role is Singapore? No, I was still based in Malaysia. Okay. Mm. But I covered APEC, you know, right up from China to Australia to India. Mm. So the whole Asia Pacific. So I traveled quite a lot back then. So this was eight to nine years into your role in uh, Malaysia. Yes. That's very interesting. I just want to say that Malaysians are very similar to Singaporeans. So you don't count as foreigners in my view. (laughs) Cousins. Cousins, yes. Cousins. cousins. (laughs) Would you say that you possess certain qualities that made your rise a little bit more Mm. smoother? So I'm not sure if it's I possess that quality, but I do have the innate curiosity and Mm. drive, Mm -hmm. which I think it's very important. But I must say that in my early part of my career, I think I probably found three things. Okay. First is, I think I found my passion. Mm -hmm. I found my voice. 
and I found my confidence. I and I think that. this helped me to yeah. get where I am today. And yeah. I don't think it's unique to myself. I think everyone struggles with a little bit of this, right? Yes. You know, the self-doubts, yeah. the self-limiting beliefs, or the idea that, hey, people out there are way smarter than I am, mm. and I'm not sure how I want to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of my early experience and a lot of great leaders that I've worked with actually gave me the confidence. A lot of projects that I've worked with actually helped me find my passion. Mm. Why am I in this industry after like more than 17 years? Yeah. That's because I really found things that ticks in me, mm. that makes me feel that, hey, you know what? This is what I really want to do. Yeah. And this is the area that I want to pursue. Right. Because if you don't have the passion in what you want to do, it's hard. It's very hard. It's really hard. We've had this discussion before, Adrian, right? Mm. It's Finding the passion is the hardest part. It is, it is. I wanted to say even at my age right now, 44, I'm still trying to find my purpose <laughs> in life. So I'm really curious to find out, you mentioned about finding your purpose, your voice and all. Did that come easily for you? Do you mm. have to go through many winding roads to figure that out? Yeah, so maybe I can share with you that one particular event during my career that really helped me to find this. So as a lot of us, right, like you graduate from school, you find your job. Mm -hmm. I was a sales rep. Within two years, I got promoted, become a brand manager. Mm -hmm. But I was still a little bit lost. I still don't know what I want to do. Everyone keep asking you, what's your career goal? What do you want to do eventually? What's your five-year plan? Yes, what's your (laughs) five-year plan? Oh my God, I'm totally clueless. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. But that was a very stressful period of my time because I have this quite a visionary boss who's like, hey, we want to transform the landscape. Mm. I was working in a breast cancer space. And at that time, what is new is biomarker testing. Mm. And she's like, okay, we definitely need to change this landscape. We need to move from 5% testing to 100% testing. Wow. There is an opportunity to pitch for this idea in the region. You go. And I'm supposed to ask for like 3 million of investment mm. for someone mm. that is like 20 over years old in Malaysia, grew up in a small town. You want me to ask for like 3 over million worth of project to run? Like, yeah. I was horrified. But at the same time, I didn't dare to tell her that I was horrified. Yeah, She's trying to connect me with, oh, speak to this A person, speak to B person. And there I am really struggling every day. I remember that period of time. I almost cried every day after Aww. work because I just don't know what to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Like out of good intentions, sometimes your line manager kind of like refer you to like speak to that four or five people. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to figure out what is it that she wants me to do? Am I doing the right thing? But this is not going to work. Mm. It was a tough three to six months period of time okay. until one day I told myself, you know what? Like, I can't live like this. I can't go home every day crying every day for three to six months. Like, this needs to stop. And I'm like, now I need to make a choice. What do I do now? Mm. Either I speak up and told her what I'm struggling with. Right. And I speak where I feel mm. that we could do to actually make this change. And either she gives me a better idea or she believes that I can run the project as how I feel it is. Yep. And I'll do it. I ask myself, what is the worst thing that could happen? Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe I lose my job, but that's it. At least I don't go back crying every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was the turning point of my career because I found my voice and then I was allowed to do what I think makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is that we did it. Wow. And I think that's where I find my purpose. And that's where I feel that, oh my God, like really what we do and what I do right now, mm-hmm. mm. everyone in this industry, we had the opportunity to really shape the external landscape. Right. right. You can really feel that what we do could actually have an impact for the patients and the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. 
That's such a lovely story. It is, it is. And it also made me think about so many different uh, conflicts or differences or miscommunication within companies, I think, just because we don't dare to ask questions. We just keep assuming. Yes. And a lot of assumptions yeah. just kept manifesting over time and then it explodes. It's like you're suffering in your little puddle, mm. right? Yes. It's just within yourself, you're yeah. running around, you know, like struggling <laughs> when you should just ask. And a lot yes. of it is because of overthinking. I think Mark Twain said it before. I mm. overthink a lot of things, but 95% of them that didn't happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And also listening to you tell the story, I'm also struck by your boss, right? Mm. And the role someone like that plays in your career, in your life, essentially. To be able to say, you know what? I acknowledge that there's a struggle and I'm willing to go the extra mile to let you try what you think is best. It's kind of rare mm. in my view. I don't know. Do you think it's rare? Well, at least in my experience, it's not rare. Maybe I was in an environment where Roj really invests a lot in leadership. I see. Mm -hmm. And this kind of things that I am quite privileged. Like, I think yeah. in my 17 years of career, most of the managers or leaders that I met are all very open, very encouraging, and in fact would encourage us to like, hey, tell me your ideas, and then we can talk about it, and then go with it if right. you really believe that's what's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I yeah. think we're quite privileged to actually mm. have the opportunity to yeah. try. No, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure that in Singapore, there are leaders like that. It's just that I guess we are so focused on getting things right. Mm. You see, if you allow people to do what they think is best, you have to be prepared that it may not work. Yes. I may be wrong, but we have this sense of everything has to be successful. Mm. Even though we preach something else now, it's okay <laughs> to... And I think it's in the Singapore DNA to optimize for efficiency, right? Exactly. So everything must be fast, fast, chop, chop, just yeah. follow the rule book. No question asked, don't delay things. Yeah. And I, I guess that is why many Singaporeans are so unhappy at work. <laughs> One of the contributing reasons and they keep changing jobs, which mm. is again a very unique theme going by your record because yeah. you've been with the company since day one. People like you are really a rare unicorn, far <laughs> and few in between. And of course, you shared some of the attributes that I believe may have contributed to your longevity in the company. Mm. Are there any other attributes internally and externally that you think must come together mm. for someone to stay in a company for a longer period of time, just like mm. yourself? I mean, we ask this in the context of younger folks yep. who don't stay more than three years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think the things that what the younger generation is looking for may be slightly different, mm. right? I think in parents or my parents' generation, generally people tend to stay longer yes, because agreed. they look for stability. Mm. Mm. They literally have a lot of concern about family, stability for family and the need to actually generate the income. Right. I do feel that the younger generation are seeking for something beyond that, not just the job itself and mm -hmm. Sometimes I must say, you know, like our new generation are quite privileged too. It's not about the money too at times. No, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? And they're looking for something more. What is this something more? And we feel that it's probably a little bit of purpose and what they feel that, you know, could be matching with what they are looking for in uh, life. We look for yep. work-life balance, but mm. I think for a newer generation, like how do you draw the difference between yes. work and life balance. Yep. Like, they don't draw a line anymore. So mm -hmm. what they do at work, I think they feel that it must be something that is at one end, 
fun, allow them to do a lot of experimentation at the same time, learn, but mm. at the same time, something that they are passionate about. Yeah. Mm. So maybe they are out there looking for something different. Yeah. Something that ticks like all the boxes. Yes. Yes. For them, <laughs> not for the company. Yeah. <laughs> True. Not- so speaking of this work-life balance, right? I just read a report in the Straits Times about a survey done on millennials. Okay. So you fall into millennials, age 27 to 42. And one of the things that came up was maintaining balance mm. between work and life and it, this is across Southeast Asia not just Singapore by the way what struck me was this bit right one in four don't want leadership roles because that means the balance is out of whack mm. the more you climb the higher you go the more demands is on you right so you are quite clearly at the top of your game how do you manage this mm. difficult and you have kids yes she has 10 and a 12 year old yeah so Actually, it's quite an interesting perception. I don't know why people feel that the higher you climb, the harder it is to manage. I think the things that you manage is different. I I do feel that the higher you climb, you have more stress in terms of higher impact decision that you have to make. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that I have to do more things. Okay. Okay. Food for thought. Interesting perspective. Yes. Right. Because I have that same conversation with a lot of my new leaders as well because Mm. everyone comes with the same question you're a mom of two you're doing a full-time job how do you manage and at the same time I see that you're also spending time with your friends like you're going out you also have a life and I'm like what makes you think that I'm doing more than what you are doing today (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly Um, personally for me my experiences with the higher roles that I am at I find that it's easier for me to prioritize Oh. Because then it's easier for me to actually be ruthlessly think of, is this really important? Mm. Is this not important? Yes, because you have authority now, right? Mm. Not just authority. I think I can see the bigger picture mm. that I don't get stuck into like, oh, this is important. This is also important. That is also important. Right, because sometimes right. when we are very task focused, we tend to feel that everything is important exactly. at the same time. But now that I've removed myself and look at it from a different perspective where I can look across the board, it's very easy for me to know that, okay, this one, two, three things is important and this is where I'm going to trade off and this is where I'm going to focus on. Right. I have the same 24 hours in a day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't get the additional <laughs> six hours. Yeah, and your kids only have one mummy, so... Exactly. They need your time, right? Yes, yes. So do you like consciously plan around the time that you spend with them? So I do mentally block three things that I think is very important in my life. First is that I love my job. So I know that it will take my working hours, especially Mm -hmm. plus also some off hours, right? Like our job calls for all flexibility cross hours Mm -hmm. now, especially with cross-country collaborations. That is important, which I know takes quite a fair bit of time. Like you said, uh, my kids only have one mummy. Mm. So they are important for me to spend time with them. But at the same time, it's very important for me to have my own time. Yep. Either for myself or to spend time with my friends. Because yep. the kids is going to grow up. They eventually, don't want, yeah, eventually. Eventually, mummy is going to need friends. <laughs> yes, eventually my kids don't want to hang out with me all the time anymore. And yep. I don't want them to feel stressed that... They They have have to take care of mummy because mummy don't have friends, right? So I always (laughs) find that these three things is where I need to find balance at. And I will constantly remind myself, okay, am I spending too much time at one place? Am Mm. I not having my own personal time as well? Right. And I think that helps me to make trade-off too, to know Mm. what is important and what is not. Because we don't want to miss key important milestones Mm. for our kids too, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what are the things that you have dropped 
out of your life because they are no longer deemed to be that important? I've dropped quite a fair bit of control. <laughs> I don't need my house to be the most perfectly clean and oh. organized house. <laughs> I don't stress about my kids' homework. <laughs> Amen to that. Okay, all the parents listening, please take note. Yeah, I told my kids, right? Like, it's you who is studying. If you need help, let's talk about it. But mm. I'm not the type of mom that's going to come back and check your school bags every day. Wow. If you need things, tells me. Mm. If not, then you answer to your teacher why you didn't do your homework. <laughs> so I've had four kids, and many of oh, my wow. friends, new friends, will ask, hey, "How you manage? How you manage yes. four kids?" I always tell them, "When I have one or two, you try to control a lot of things: matching socks, matching outfit, everything okay. Check homework. Yeah, but uh. when you have four, you're like, ah, just go out, just go out, go wear underwear. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. So you really have to loosen up and and give up a lot of control in order to maintain that sanity. I think giving up the control. Control sounds like a much nicer way. My approach is just lower my expectations, but I think giving up control sounds better. <laughs> Back to your GM journey for the aspiring GMs out there, people looking to go into this space. I think they will also be interested to hear. Were there any unexpected challenges or adjustment you have to make, or even personal misconception just before mm. you took on the role? Yeah. So to be honest, I'm not the type of person who like set up and say that hey, I want to do a GM role. Yep. And I don't know how many of the listeners out there are those who is like very clear focus of what role you want to do. Yep. If you have that clarity, I think good for you. Great. What is it that you actually want to strive for? But for the other half who, like me, when I first started off, they have no idea what role I want to land on. Mm. For me, what is more important is knowing what actually motivates you, mm. what exactly that you like to do. Because I've also speak to young graduates whom, in a way, they like what they're doing, but they don't really like to deal with people. Ah. But yet, their aspiration is to become a manager. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. There's a disconnect. You know, there. there's a disconnect between what you like and what you want to be. Yeah, what and you aim to do. I, yes, and I think a lot of people have this ambition because our society was grown in a way where, wow, you need to get these hierarchical positions mm. to feel that I've achieved right. something in my mm. life. But I think organizations nowadays are also becoming flatter Yep. A little bit more agile and at least in Roch, what we're telling a lot of our employees and new joiners is that everyone could play a leadership role. Mm. As long as you know what you're passionate about, mm. then you build on your strengths right. and what is needed for that role, right? So for mm. example, for a GM role, I finally realized why it's called general management. It is general management. <laughs> Everything also must do. Everything under the sky. From people issues to legal issues yeah. to brand strategy, which to be honest, now brand strategy is less of my area yeah. of scope because you have all your leaders underneath you mm. who is the subject matter expert, experts. Yeah. Right? So what I do is really enable them. Yeah. And it comes to me when there is issues. And it could mm. pan from today, there is a conflict. To tomorrow, there is a complaints and there is a legal issue. To then a safety audit issues. Right. To then a purely brand positioning, pricing kind of issues. Like it could be anything. Yeah. So for those who's aspiring to be a general manager, I would say <laughs> then you need to have the general curiosity for any kinds of yeah. topics. For anything's under the sky because everything is in scope. <laughs> in including a leaky roof. A clock toilet. Yeah. Yes. The safety yeah. of like the doors not closing. Yeah. <laughs> But that sounds like such an interesting job. I mean, to me, I'd rather have all these interesting, complex challenges every day. 
but I think it depends on individual. Not everybody likes that. Likes right? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. That's Some true. people really like uh, to be a subject matter expert. Yeah, they yeah. like the depth of the topic. Hello, my name is Steve Lai, and I'm Teresa Tang, and we are the hosts of CNA Correspondent, a podcast that takes you to the heart of the work our correspondents do across the globe. From China's COVID response to the child care center massacre in Thailand. And from the fall of Najib Razak to the rise of Anwar Ibrahim as Malaysia's prime minister. We speak to the people at the reporting front lines. So if you want to know how the biggest global stories unfold, make sure you follow or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk a little bit about the business you're in. Healthcare is very huge and people always like to talk about the future of healthcare. My understanding was that your experience with your grandma kind of mm. shaped your thinking about healthcare. So maybe you can share with us a little bit more. Maybe answering your questions first about my very early experience. Mm. I think I was 18 or 19 years old then. My grandmother had a stroke okay. and had brain hemorrhage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she was hospitalized for quite a while quite a fair bit of complications she was in coma for two to three months constantly have brain edema mm. and it was a difficult time and i realized that you know what with the advancement of science even back then you would think that there's much more that we could actually do yeah actually no and one day the physicians came and talked about you know what, there's a lot of intracranial pressure. Right. We need to do a surgery, but with her age, there's of course a high risk. Mm. And they ask family members, why don't you all discuss and think about it? Right. And from his speech and his body language, it doesn't emit that kind of confidence yeah. that you know yeah. it's something that's going to be positive. Mm. But of course, as any family members, we're like, she's already in coma. This is probably one shot that you have to find the hope that yep. she will recover and we said yes. So she went into the surgery and luckily she actually... Oh, she made it. Yeah, she made it. But the doctor was also quite funny. He came out and he says that, wow, great news. She made it. I'm surprised because I've just operated on a younger patient and she didn't make it. Oh, wow. And it it leaves you with a very mixed feeling, right? Like one is... Despite the advancement of science, I think that's much more that we could all do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Number two, for me, yeah, all those risk things. And I'm not sure whether the doctors is doing us justice by asking us to make that decision right. without a lot of information. Mm. And I'm curious, mm. there has to be better ways that we can figure out risk yeah. and we can make a better, more, more well-informed decision. decisions. Yeah. So I think that was the trigger. Key, yeah, the trigger to that curiosity in mm. science. And also coincidentally, we are actually celebrating our 50th year of Roche presence in Singapore this year. Oh, wow. And the topic that we are talking about right now, it's about the future of healthcare. Okay. Mm. I personally feel that we are at the juncture of change in healthcare. With the advancement of technology, Mm. so many different things are out in the market right Mm. now that are able to actually either support better delivery of healthcare or comes up with different solutions. Healthcare used to be, I give you a treatment for your symptoms, you take it and you have a response to it. And our relationship is just that way, right? You see a doctor, you tell them what's wrong, they prescribe Mm. you a medicine. But I realized that a lot of things have changed with AI, with digital tools, with how our expectations have also changed, Mm -hmm. right? Previously, when I'm sick, I just want a medicine that makes me feel better. But now... 
I'm like, beyond making me feel better, I want to know, am I doing better? Yeah. Will I actually get it again? I also demand for speed. <laughs> I don't know if you guys read about this uh, thing that among Hollywood elites, uh-huh. where they go for this entire head-to-body MRI kind of thing in granular detail mm-hmm. to pick up whether they might be a stroke in 10 years or a heart problem in 5 years. It costs money. It's like it thousands of dollars. It's three hours under that horrid machine, but it's like you want to peek into your body so that you can be prepared. So that you know, right? Yeah. I I do feel that the future of healthcare will be more of like healthcare as a consumer market, where the same approach that we are and the curiosity of the things that we consume, I think we will have the same curiosity of our body. I no longer want to wait until I have hypertension. Yeah, exactly. So it's more preventive. To know that I have that. Yes, People want to know now, right? So that I can prepare early. What can I change? The awareness of health is also quite different. Yeah. Hence why I feel that we're probably at a juncture of change that we will wow. be able to see in the next 50 years where healthcare <laughs> will be very different. It's, it's <laughs> so interesting. I personally took the DNA test. But oh, yeah? A lot of it feels a bit horoscope. It actually tells me based on my DNA, I am musically inclined. I'm like, huh? You can tell that from my DNA. (laughs) And are you musically inclined? I'm not. So it's quite horoscope to me. So recently, there's also been a national health report that was published. And of course, it says a lot of things. One thing that we are eating a lot more than we should. Mm. Food here, of course, is a religion. We have so many different choices to choose from. So for a company like yours, what's the key focus here? You mentioned about future of healthcare. Is it? really focusing on just the preventive measure and for any lay person listening to this right now what are some of the tangible things that he or she can actually take away from and start yep. working on yeah mm. so we are in more specialty healthcare. Okay. so unfortunately you know a lot of solutions that from a treatment perspective that we offer are for people who is already in that condition i see but more and more we're also moving to earlier diagnosis and earlier disease mm. so we are big in cancer care yes, mm-hmm. and in cancer treatment yep. but more and more we are advocating for earlier diagnosis mm. right because you don't want to find out when you're in late stage yes mm. it's yep. best when you know very early yep. and it's no longer a death sentence nowadays oh, right yeah i would love to really advocate for everyone to really do early screening mm. Mm. doesn't take you much once every few years to actually do early screening especially if you have family history of Cancer, hypertension, cardiovascular disease or smoking history, I think it's good to be aware and screen early. Yep. I think nationally, our health minister talked about it, right? Like moving from sick care to health care, talking about healthier SG, really primarily to focus on earlier prevention. So I think as a company, we are also moving into this of earlier diagnosis. Mm. Mm. We acknowledge that care is important, but we need to also know early and be more responsible of our own health. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. It's just that some people find it hard to know these truths early. Mm. They would rather not know. I don't get that. I, I really don't get that. But okay, if anybody is figuring things out on healthcare, please try to find a drug that magically soaks up all the salt and the sugar that I eat. <laughs> and I think it's quite a Maybe typical... it will come. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised. So. <laughs> okay, so to, just to, to wind down a little bit, uh, maybe you can give us a tip or two, particularly when you're hiring someone, okay? Mm. So what are the traits in your experience in the 17 years that you've spent at Roche? What are the traits that you feel you really make good leaders or good leadership? 
Mm. Or even a good team leader, somebody mm. who who has an impact on the bottom line. Yep. So a few things that I personally feel make great leaders are leaders who is visionary. Mm. At the end of the day, as a leader, you want your leader to be able to give you a direction mm. or ambition, things that will actually drive the team forward beyond what we are all doing on a day-to-day basis. Yes. So something yeah. that I I generally look for is for leaders is this visionary trait, mm. someone who has to drive and have at least some sense of a goal mm. where they can actually influence and inspire the team to yep. move to. That's one. Second thing that is most important is actually empathy or the ability to relate. And mm-hmm. I think particularly in healthcare, this is important. Yeah, Not just the ability to relate to the people around you within the organization, but also with the external partners, right? right? Mm. Because we are always in a tension in the system as a healthcare provider and then the payers. So the ability to actually see the needs from both sides and also to empathize with the different individuals that you're actually working with in different functions. So visionary empathy, I think it's very important. One thing that I also respect a lot in leaders are decisiveness Mm. Mm. because there is a point where you could do all those but if you can't be decisive and really take responsibility of a decision Mm. then we're not moving anywhere so I think decisiveness is important last but not least I think the most important thing for a leader is to actually know how to build a team there is no leader without a team yeah right and you're just on your own Um, so the ability yeah. to actually build a team and to actually have the passion to actually want to build a team. Yeah. That I don't see as a role that I generally feel that for a true leader to really be successful, you need to have a genuine interest mm. on building team. Mm. You know, mm. And finding the right people. I think that yes. mix is sometimes tough. Yep. It's trial yeah. and error, you know. Yeah, it's always a debatable thing. Do you actually hire a mix of team of how you want yes, it to be? exactly. Or do you actually maximize the team that you have? Yep. Which is why the decisiveness aspect comes in first. Yes. Otherwise, you cannot choose. <laughs> you don't know where to go. No, but even if you choose, you might not get the mix right, is what I'm saying. Yeah, so I've not in my career been consciously choose for the mix, to ah. be honest. Mm-hmm. Because I fundamentally believe in enhancing the diversity of different opinions of the team. Mm. So work with existing. Work with existing, but... At some point, if you feel that the existing team are too much sweet on the same opinion, then mm. you may want to deliberately mix, mix it up, up a little mm. bit. But I don't go hiring for A with this trait, B right, and right. C with a different trait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you generally look at, okay, this is how where the team and different individual strengths is. How mm. do we maximize it? Right. And when there is really something that is clearly lacking, then you may want to consider, okay, maybe it does mm. need a different mix into the team to yeah. bring a different idea. Yeah, it's an art and a science, like, yeah. kind of a little bit of luck too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ying Ying, for taking time off your busy schedule to come chat with us today. And don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review or a comment. Thanks to the CNE podcast team. Until next week, let's have a productive work week. Thank you. Thank you.